All right, well, I want to welcome you guys to Wednesday night Bible study. Of course, we're still right in the middle of the whole coronavirus craziness, and once again to an empty auditorium, and the sermon's going out. So kind of empty. We do have a kind of some tech people here. I hope we're not breaking too many rules anyways. Um, glad you could take in uh, this uh, Bible study tonight. I hope that you're doing well and just want to go ahead and jump in. Um, on Wednesday nights, we um, are going through the book of Leviticus and we're doing kind of lessons through Leviticus. Not necessarily hitting every verse, but kind of turning it into kind of a survey of the book of, of Leviticus. And it's been a good story, uh, uh, study so far. Um, last week, I went back to our study in Leviticus, and that was fully my plan um, for tonight. As of about 11 o'clock, 10.30, 11 o'clock this morning, I was studying the last few days, getting geared up, doing my routine. But man, this morning, I just really felt like um, about 10.30, 11 a.m., I was like, I just don't feel like this is what the Lord wants to share tonight. So I was in kind of in frustration, put down my Bible and everything else and just went for a little prayer walk. And sure enough, I really felt like the Lord put a word on my heart, uh, a word of encouragement for tonight. And it's actually something that's been stirring in me the last couple of weeks. It's not necessarily a complicated word, but it's something that I hope um, is a timely one and just encouraging for everybody. So all that to say is we're going to be in uh, Titus tonight, uh, chapter 2, verses 11 uh, through 14. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll just go ahead and jump in, and maybe I'll pray again. We'll see. But Father God, we thank you for your word. It's so good to be able to just open up the scriptures with all the other voices, with all the other noise constantly bombarding us, how good it is to have truth, to have your word. And I just pray that whoever's listening, whether it's via podcast or watching the video or whatever, I just pray right now your Holy Spirit would just kind of let all the other distractions kind of fade off and we would just have hearts that are soft and tuned in. And Lord, let there be a word of prophecy for each person, just a, a nugget of truth that speaks right into their lives. And so just give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm just going to read a couple of verses from Titus chapter 2. I'm going to pick it up in verse 11, and I'm going to read through verse 14. So Titus 2 verse 11 says this, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live in a self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Verse 13, Waiting for or looking for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And Lord, once more, I just thank you for your word. I pray your anointing on your word and that you'd speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I love this passage. I love the book of Titus. I'm not going to spend a lot of time developing the context of the book. I realize I'm just kind of helicopter you know, dropping right into the middle of a lot of context. But I will say this. Um, Paul is writing to this young pastor, uh, Titus, and he's at the place where he's often kind of making this 
transition from doctrine to, um, to real practical, um, almost exhortive type stuff, material. And that's what's happening. And he's talking about holy living. He's talking about, um, you know, living uprightly and all these things. But right in the middle of this exhortive kind of paragraph to holy living, he has that verse, verse 13, where he says, waiting for or looking for our blessed hope, which is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's a lot in that that's wonderful because um, really one of the hinges for or the keys to holy living and living uprightly before God in this crazy generation and world that we're in is this idea of living a life that is looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. That idea where it says, depending on what translation you have, whether it says waiting for or looking for the blessed hope, um, the idea is, is living in such a way where there's this air of expectation for the coming, the appearing of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about the return of Jesus Christ, which Paul calls here our blessed hope. I want to just basically hit three things. Number one, I want to talk, just say Jesus is coming back. Number two, it's our blessed hope. And number three, I want to encourage you with that. And just want to take a little bit of time for each one of those things. The first thing is, I just want to lay it out there. Um, Jesus is coming back. Yesterday, I had the uh, privilege and honor of going to Costco. Um, just kind of doing my obligatory trip to Costco. And it's probably wherever you live, um, or if you live here on the island, you know that Costco is a completely different animal than it used to be uh, in, in, the, in the recent days. You know, you kind of, it's not crowded. Like, they only let a few people in at a time. Anyway, so we get to Costco, my wife and I, and we're walking in. And really interesting, as I'm walking in, there's a guy that I recognize from church. I don't really know him all that well. It's more of just an acquaintance. And he saw me and I saw him. And we didn't stop to have a conversation. We're definitely honoring our six-foot social distancing rules and all that stuff. And as I walked by him, we did kind of, we did give a little dude nod where it was like, what's up? Kind of did one of those. But we didn't converse except for this. As I'm walking past him, almost like after I've already passed him, he kind of looks over and he goes, he's coming soon. That's all he said. He kept walking, and I went, amen, bro, and I kept walking. And that to me just, you know, I was thinking about that. That's exactly what we're hearing a lot of. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you're, you know, in church circles, listening to sermons, right now there's so much talk about Jesus coming back. And um, I want to talk a little bit about why that is such a hot topic right now with COVID-19 and all of the subsequent uh, social stuff and governmental stuff, political stuff that's going on. Now, what I'm not going to do um, is go into in-depth, um, you know, drill down into the doctrine of eschatology. I'm, I'm not going to necessarily, I'm not going to pull in a bunch of current events. I think that there's guys right now that you can access online that are doing a fantastic job of that. What I want to do is take a much simpler approach. I just want to look at some a real broad stroke thing right now and maybe even talk to some of you who are younger in the faith. Um, because, you know, you might say, well, why is everyone saying, what, what is the, the COVID-19 thing? Or what, why is there all this talk about Jesus coming back? And, th and this is what I just want to remind us of. A um, couple things. 
Jesus coming a second time is absolutely foundational to our Christian doctrine. It is orthodox Christian theology that Jesus is coming a second time. That's not some peripheral or some non-essential thing. No, Jesus is coming back. And, and if, at the core of our Christian doctrine, the return of Christ or the second advent, the second coming of Jesus is right there, you know, in a very main and, and um, foundational thing. Now, I'm not suggesting that, that that doctrine of him coming back has to do with your salvation or anything like that. But what I'm saying is it is an absolute from day one understood that Jesus is coming back. You know, it's been estimated that one-fourth of the Bible is Bible prophecy, predictive Bible prophecy. It's been said, estimated, that one-half of those predictive prophecies um, have already occurred. Now, all of those prophecies that I'm referring to in some way, shape, or form point to Jesus, whether his first coming, his work, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his coming again, his judging the world. In some way, they, they refer to Jesus. And about half of those predictive prophecies have come true. And it's been estimated also that there's still some 325 prophecies about his second coming. Somebody once did the math. I think it was uh, John Wolverd who did the math that said about one out of every 25 verses in the Bible deal with, uh, or in the, yeah, in the Bible deal with either the rapture or the second coming. So this is a major doctrinal truth. We see it in the Old Testament. There's all these Old, Old Testament prophecies about Jesus that haven't happened yet. And you might think, well, I thought he already came. Well, he did, but he still hasn't fulfilled so many of the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel that refer to his second coming. Jesus himself talked all the time about his second coming. He would, he would give parables about the coming of the Son of Man and this and that, and he would use uh, these parables to present this idea of a, a, an imminent second return, an unannounced second return, a literal second return. I remember when, when one of my uh, kids, years and years and years ago, we were, were really little, and I was tucking him into bed, and somehow the topic of Jesus coming back came up, and, and one of them said they just had a hard time believing that he was actually coming. And, and I said, you know, just real simply, you know, did the prophecies about Jesus um, come true in a literal way the first time he came? Did Jesus literally come the first time? And of course the answer is yes. Well, guys, listen, just as we saw those literally come to pass in his first coming, these prophecies are gonna literally come to pass for his second coming. So you see it all in the Old Testament. You see it in the teachings of Jesus. Jesus himself said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm gonna come again and receive you to myself. Where I am, you can be also. I'm kind of hacking that quote, but um, Jesus talked about his own return. We see it in the book of Acts, right there in the first chapter, chapter one, verse five. When Jesus ascended up into heaven, um, so the disciples were around him and these angels were there and the guys were all looking up into the sky and the angel was like, what are you guys looking up into the clouds for? This same Jesus, the way he went up is the same way he's coming back down. He's coming back. So you have it in the Old Testament. You have it in the Gospels. You have it in the book of Acts. You have it, of course, in the epistles, um, the writings of Paul. We just read one right here. It's all throughout. And then, of course, we have it in the book of Revelation where Jesus himself, right at the very end, says, behold, I come quickly. So the point I'm trying to make, and now I'm, overstating it probably, is that the return of Jesus Christ is absolutely a foundational doctrine 
And, it, and it's just true. Now, let's get a little more specific. Why is everybody talking about it right now? Why is that guy in Costco saying he's coming soon? Why did my good friend Chris Suits text me, text me this morning and another little encouragement? Man, the Lord's coming soon. And why is there so much buzz about that right now? The simple answer is this, that the Bible and specifically even Jesus give, uh, gives us signs and prophecies about things that would be happening in the world just prior to his coming again. Now, I don't have time to unpack all of those, but let me just read a famous one. This is from Luke chapter 24. This is called the Olivet Discourse. The parallel passage to Luke 24 is Luke 21. Um, and what this is, it's a famous teaching that Jesus gave about his, about his return, about the end times. Now, what's fascinating is um, he's responding to a question they had about the, the temple being destroyed and the coming of Jesus again and on all of those things. Luke focuses in on the, the more immediate prophecies of the Romans coming and all of that. Matthew focuses in on Jesus' second coming. But all that to say is, You'll probably find this familiar. They were asking, okay, when's this going to happen? And this is something Jesus said. He says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. You'll see that, see that you're not alarmed. These must take place. But the end is not yet. Listen, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes. And I think Luke adds pestilence in there in various places. Oh, by the way, earthquakes in various places. I saw this on my little text alert thing. There was like a six point something earthquake in South Dakota. Earthquakes don't happen in South Dakota. Anyway, crazy time. All these things are happening. But here's the, here's the linchpin. He says in verse eight, all these are but the beginning of birth pains. So in this particular example, what Jesus was saying and why this ties into COVID-19 and all the political stuff and governmental things and uh, all this stuff that's happening right now economically and everything else is because Jesus said, look, these things are going to happen, but when you see them happening, they're like birth pains. Now, as soon as he says birth pains, every mom knows exactly what Jesus is talking about. Us guys, we don't quite get it, but the moms know. What he's saying is these signs will be like birth pains. How do birth pains work? They start not as intense and not as frequent, but as you get closer to the birth of the child, the labor becomes more intense. The, 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 and I only know this by observation. Um, and the, the, uh, the labor pains become more intense. They last longer and they come more frequently until the point where you get to hard labor and boom, the baby's born. And Jesus uses that picture and he says, these things are going to ramp up as I get closer to coming again. And guys, so what we're seeing now, the reason why everybody's saying, the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming, is because so many of these things are ramping up. I don't have to tell you, you can turn on the TV and, and maybe you should turn off the TV for a while because I think we have the TVs on too much right now. But you guys, you see all the news um, with this pestilence or whatever, uh, pandemic, excuse me, it is a pestilence, I guess. Um, you know, and not to mention the earthquakes and the other just crazy phenomenons that are happening right now and the economic unrest and how that ties into end time scenarios from the book of Revelation and on and on and on it goes. What we're seeing is massive borderline, um, hard labor, birth pains. Now, here's the kicker. Matthew 24 and Luke 21 are talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. But you see, 
When you talk about the return of Jesus Christ, you actually have to understand there's two, for lack of a better word, phases. There's the second coming where Jesus literally puts his foot down on earth. And that's what he was talking about in Luke, 20, uh, Luke 21 and Matthew 24. But you see, there's something that's gonna happen before that. Phase one, if you would, that we call the rapture of the church that's happening at least seven years before that day when Jesus actually comes back. Now, there's some debate on the timing, but I don't even wanna necessarily get into that debate. I'll say this, is that at least years before Jesus comes back to the earth and puts his foot down, he's going to rapture the church of Jesus Christ out of here. Now, the text that I'm referring to, again, I don't wanna, I'm, I'm breaking my rule. I didn't wanna get into all this too deeply, but um, I'm gonna refer you to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, where, where Paul says, look, there's actually a generation of Christians that won't taste physical death, that in a moment and twinkling of an eye, their bodies will be instantaneously transformed, metamorphosized into their heavenly resurrected bodies. It's the same event that Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, when he talks about how um, at the coming of the Lord, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then he says, and then we, we which are, are alive and remain will be caught up together with them, listen, in the clouds to meet them in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. If you're confused about the two things, just think of it this way. The rapture is us going up to Jesus. The second coming is Jesus and us coming back down to earth. We come with him. And so again, there's, I mean, we could go on and on and on for weeks and weeks and weeks about all the doctrine that's behind that, but that's the general idea. Jesus is gonna take his bride, his church, out of the world in this event called the rapture. Now people have, a, it's, it's kind of sad to me actually. There's a lot, this growing attitude uh, amongst Christians, unfortunately, ab about this idea of a literal rapture of the church. I I've kind of seen it, just kind of been tracking with it in my own mind, you know, kind of back burner, just watching it over the last 10, 12 years, how even amongst Christians, there's almost a, a scoffing at the idea of a literal rapture, which is really sad to me. Well, we don't see the rapture in the Bible, this and that. You absolutely see the rapture. I don't want to uh, get into all that right now, but I will say this. This is where the, we get the word rapture, by the way. First Thessalonians chapter four in verse 17, where he says, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them, that is the dead in Christ, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Um, it's that word caught up is where we get this doctrine or this, the word um, raptured. Now, the word caught up in the Hebrew excuse me, not Hebrew, but the Greek, is the word harpazo, which probably means nothing to you or me, um, leaving it at that, but it's a colorful word. One of the definitions for harpazo, I like this, literally means to snatch something away eagerly for oneself. It means to be caught up. It means to be in a moment just swoosh, snatched up. In the, the um, Latin translation of the Bible, uh, it's the word raptus, and that's where we get our word rapture. So raptus, caught up, harpazo, it's all describing the same thing, this event where the Christians are instantaneously, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, in a twinkling of an eye, boom, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. I love that, that, that definition, by the way, of snatching something for oneself. And that's the idea. You see, it's almost like when the green light's given, Jesus cannot wait to be with his bride. He's so excited to be with his bride. He's gonna go bam and just snatch us up to be with him. It's kind of like, I've used the example before. I love 
peanut M&Ms. And you know, if you were to hold out your hand with a handful of peanut M&Ms, there's a good chance I would harpazo those. I would eagerly take them unto myself, just like a ninja, pretty much like a ninja, uh, grab those. Anyway, I digress, but that's the idea. So the point I want to make is, is, is this. Again, I know it opens a lot of doors of thought. I know it opens some can of worms for theology and this and that. Non-negotiable is this. Jesus is coming back, literally, physically, to this earth. I believe with all my heart, the Bible teaches that there will first be the rapture of the church that will happen, I believe, seven years, at least seven years before that event takes place. So if we're already seeing the birth pains described in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 that are gonna be happening right before his second coming and the rapture happens years before that, ladies and gentlemen, the point is we are very close to the return of Jesus Christ. We really, really are. And I know pastors like me have been saying that for 20 years, but this is unprecedented what we're seeing in the world today. And it's exciting, which brings me to my next point, which hopefully will be a little shorter. Number one, I wanted to tell us that Jesus is coming back. Number two, I wanted to point out what Paul referred to this as. Did you notice he called it in verse 13 of our Titus text? He called it the blessed hope, the blessed hope. I just want to camp on that for a second. The blessed hope. What does that mean? First of all, I want to start with the word hope. You know, hope in our English vocabulary is is kind of a wishy-washy word. You know, like, gosh, I hope my job holds up through this this time. I hope I get a stimulus check. I hope I hope, you know, this happens, or I hope I don't get sick, or I hope. And and our word hope kind of has this um, connected to it, this idea of like, well, it could happen. And it could not happen, but I'm hoping it happens. Like, uh, it's kind of touch and go. It's on the balance. I don't know. It could go either way. That's not how the, the Greek concept of hope and this word that Paul uses for hope, that's not how that, that translates to them. The idea of hope in the Bible is not this, well, it could happen. It may happen. It may not happen. It's wishy-washy. No. The word actually means expectation. The idea of, of, it, of something maybe not happening, that's, that's removed. That's not a question. Whatever it is that you're expecting or hoping in, it's going to happen. It's not a matter of if. It's simply a matter of when. And so it carries this idea of, of hopeful expectation of something that's really good coming your way. That's the idea of hope in the Bible. And so when in this context, we're talking about the blessed hope of what? The return, the appearing of Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of if, it's simply a matter of when. And that is the Christian's hope. Guys, that is our hope, that we are gonna be with Jesus, that for eternity, forever, we're gonna be with him. He is our hope. But he's not just our hope. Here's what I like about this text, probably what drew it, me to it for tonight is that it says that he is our blessed hope. The word blessed, a very simple, but I believe an accurate translation of this is simply this, happy. To be blessed means happy. Look it up in your, con- your concordance on Blue Letter Bible or on whatever app you use or an actual book. And um, you'll find that it says happy. So guys, what is he saying? We are waiting for the happy hope of Jesus Christ coming back. It is our happy hope. It is what should infuse us with happiness. Now, this is where I want to get to my point. Um, The question I have for you tonight is this. 
Is it your happy hope? Now, I'm talking to you Christians. I'm talking to myself. Is it really? I'm not talking about doctrine. I'm not talking about what should be the right answer. I'm talking about reality. Is it your happy hope? Because I would be willing to bet money. Every dime that I've ever invested in stocks, which is zero, but I would be willing to, to bet some money that there are some Christians that amongst all this talk of Jesus is coming soon, bro, the Lord's coming back, bro, and you're hearing that, but it is not stirring up happy hope in you. It's very likely for some of us, for some of you, stirring up more of a consternation, like an uneasiness, maybe even fear. I've talked to so many people over the years you know, I've gotten done doing a teaching on the rapture, second coming or something like that. And they're just really honest with me and say, this stuff scares me. I don't, I don't I'm, I'm scared of it. First, I want to just say this. Look, we should not be scared. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you shouldn't be scared at the second come, or the rapture of the church where Jesus comes to get you. I think you should take it seriously, but it's not something that should scare us. And I understand that idea of like, everybody's talking about how cool it is if Jesus comes back, but maybe, maybe you're like, I don't know. I don't know if it's cool for me. Maybe that's not your happy hope. Maybe you're like, what about these things I want to do in life? And maybe about, what about my relationship with my family? And what about traveling? And what about, and, and we may laugh at that, like what's that compared to the return of Christ? But I think that's honestly where a lot of people are. Like you're scared. Like I just forget that I just want to not get, the coronavirus, you know, and, and just go back to work. And, and see, here's what I want to say. And I want to say this, please hear my heart. This is not coming out of a place of like condemnation or, you know, how I can't believe you're thinking that way. It's more coming up from a place of let's just be real about it. But I want to encourage you in this. I have found that a lot of times if when there's talk about Jesus's return and the rapture, and I catch myself saying, well, it's not really the, doesn't make me happy or I'm not real hopeful about that or I'm not excited about that. It could be because my hope and my expectation is being placed in something or someone else. And my reaction to somebody saying, he's coming back soon, and I go, and if I bristle at that, might be a tell that my hope is being placed in something or someone else. My expectation, what I'm really longing for, what I'm really desiring is not Jesus not to see Jesus. And, and here's what I want to say is, guys, listen, if that's the case, here's what it speaks of. Again, not coming out of a place of condemnation or scolding anybody or anything like that, but I believe it comes out of a place of just not knowing Jesus very well. Here's why I say that. Again, I'm not saying that you're not saved. I'm not saying that you're not born again. What I'm saying is, to the degree, to the degree that I know Jesus will be to the degree that I love Jesus. And when you love somebody, you want to be with them. And so when I, when I hear somebody say, oh, the Lord's coming back, you know, Jesus is gonna come, I get excited. Why? Because I wanna be with him. Because I love him. And if I bristle at it, it's indicative of the fact that maybe I have not been spending time with him. I've not been close to him to the degree that I am intimate with him and know him and am walking with him is to the degree that I just want to go be with him. Amen? There's no one to say amen back to me, but it's just give me one wherever you're listening to this. If you're driving, whatever, give me an amen. So guys, I want to I just challenge you with this. Where are you at with that? Are you, are you not, is it not a happy hope? Can I, can I encourage you? Listen, 
maybe just do some inventory and say, maybe it's because I'm really just wanting the promotion from work. I'm really just wanting this to have a girlfriend or have a boyfriend. I'm just wanting this. None of those things are wrong. But I guarantee if you will focus in and intentionally pour into your relationship with Jesus to the degree that you will know him will be to the degree that you want to be with him and there will be just a a heart-pumping desire to be with him. He is our hope. He really, really is. Now, that's the second thing. Lastly, my last thing I want to say is I want to encourage you, and I'm taking this, I'm going to flip back over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, um, and I'm almost done. I'm going to try to make this quick. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is clearing up some doctrinal questions that the Thessalonians had regarding um, their relatives that were dying and they were really expecting Jesus to come back and they're like, did we miss it? And he's like, no, he didn't miss it. Um, and he's, and he's, he's saying, you know, he's going, going on and clearing all that up and he talks about being caught up together with him and all of that. But that last verse, this is what he says. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And I just want to point out a couple of things about that word encourage. You might have a different translation. It might say comfort. And that's, that's not a bad translation at all. Um, the first thing I want to point out is he says, guys, in light of the fact that Jesus could come at any moment and take us up to be with him, encourage each other with that. And, and the first interesting thing about that word is that it's in the present active tense. In other words, it means keep encouraging. Continue to, whoops, my glasses. Continue to encourage one another. Don't just do it one time, but talk about it all the time. Encourage, encourage, encourage. The other thing that's fascinating is, again, that word is a very colorful word. In fact, the word for encourage um, is parakaleo. Now, the only reason I bring that up is because if you've been around Bible stuff for a while, you might recognize that word. It's the same word, or at least the root, when Jesus says that he's leaving but would send another comforter, parakletus. It's that same word for, that Jesus used for the Holy Spirit. Two words, parakaleo. It means, paro means to come alongside and kaleo to speak to or to, to, to summon or call out to. And so it's a colorful word. And here's some synonyms that are listed when you look for the definition in your Strong's Concordance or something like that. That word means to comfort. It means to exhort, and it means to strengthen, among other things. But I just want to take those three. Encourage each other with this idea of the rapture. Encourage. Keep on encouraging. And number one, that means comfort one another. How does the doctrine of the rapture comfort? I'll tell you guys, it just does. When you and I talk to each other and remind each other of eternity, it's comforting. Because we're all the same. We all can get our eyes off of eternity and onto our problems and onto the world and, and onto the news and onto what's going wrong and, and we can get overwhelmed and there's just something about a brother or sister, not flippantly, but just heartfeltly saying, guys, hey, remember, the Lord's coming. And what it does is it snaps us back and comforts us because we say, yes, this isn't our home. This isn't our final destination. We're pilgrims. It's not supposed to be perfect here because this isn't heaven yet. And for us as believers, we go, yes, okay, that's comforting to me. Another reason why it's comforting is because actually the context of this passage was talking about how when we have loved ones that are believers in Jesus and they die, we don't have to sorrow like the rest of the world that has no 
hope. It doesn't mean we don't cry or sorrow. What he's saying is, as believers, we have this wonderful hope that it's not the end. That you and I get to go and be with those who have gone on before us in the Lord. I'm going to see my grandma again. I'm going to see my grandpa again. I'm going to see my friends. I'm going to be with all of the people I've connected with over the years in ministry and missions and churches and life. And, and we've all gone our separate ways in this world. But when Jesus comes back for us, we're all going to be together again. And guys, that's comforting. That's wonderful because you might be sad now. But guys, we have a hope that we're all going to be together as one big family in heaven. Another thing that gives us comfort and hope is that there's no more sin. There's no more temptation. I don't know about you, but I'm so sick and tired of me. Don't say you're sick and tired of me, but you're, I'm sick, we're sick of ourselves. I'm tired of all the temptation. I'm tired of just the flesh. But when I'm with the Lord, I will be in my resurrection body and I'm not gonna have to deal with any of that anymore. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sorrow. But you lay all that aside and those are great things. Here's the greatest comfort. We're gonna be with Jesus. We will be with Jesus. And in Jesus' presence is the fullness of joy and contentment and peace and everything we long for. And that is comforting, that that is where we're going. So he says comfort. It also means, that word to uh, parakaleo, also means to exhort. And I like this one too because, you know, those of us who believe in a rapture, we've been accused sometimes of just being escapists, you know, or like, oh, taking the easy way out and you want to face reality or tribulations or hard stuff. And, and I, I actually vehemently disagree with that. I actually believe that if you're a person that believes in the imminent return of Jesus in the rapture, it's actually a very motivating thing. And it can be something that we, this idea of comforting or it can also carry the idea of exhorting each other. Urge each other on. Why? Because Jesus is coming. So, guys, there's, there's a place to comfort in the sense of like, it's going to be okay, Jesus is coming back, we're going to be with him. But it's also, there's a time to be like, hey, Jesus is coming back. So this is not the time. You know, so often in these texts, like the one we read from Titus, he's exhorting them to holy living. Why? Jesus is coming back. This is not the time to live for self. This is not the time to live self-indulgently and, and build your little kingdom and, and make life all about you or me make life all about me. Man, Paul says the same thing in Romans. The, the, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Wake up. Jesus is coming. It's very motivating. It's to, we're to urge one another on because why? We all want to fall back into that tendency of just laziness spiritually. We all want to just kind of do what's best for us and live the self-life. We all drift that way, you know? So we need each other to stir each other up. Hey, the, the Lord's coming. And we're gonna stand at the judgment seat of Christ. We're gonna be rewarded for the things we've done for his kingdom and faithfulness. There is gonna be a day where you and I are literally gonna stand not with one another individually and give an account for our life at the very throne of Jesus Christ. That's a sobering thought. It's to encourage one another. You know, I was talking to my wife about this and we were just discussing about how it's, it, it, this really, you know, it really is the time right now that we're living in to go all in for Jesus. And, you know, she, she brought up a great point about, you know, you need to go for it. 
what's it? Whatever the Lord is putting in your heart, whatever's stirring up in your heart, whatever God has been leading you to do, now is not the time to be like, oh, you just got to huddle in and coronavirus. Okay, we're all on hold for certain things until things lighten up. But listen, with reckless abandon, obey what Jesus is calling you to do because the time is short. And, and this is our moment. This is our time to shine. This is our time. I just talked to my good friend, Andy Ziesmer, um, the, the president of a Jesus Mission. I was talking to him today and, and he told me about how his neighbors, who he's been wanting to share Christ with for so long, for years, he sat from 11 p.m. till three in the morning because they had question after question after question after question about the gospel, about church, about what's going on. And he's just sharing Christ. And I, I just want to, Encourage all of us, guys, take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of you. Live holy. Now's not the time to get circle the wagons and be all scared or whatever. Look, whatever Jesus is calling you to do, obey and be reckless in a good way um, in your obedience to him. I'll end on this last one. We could go on and on. But again, back to this idea of encouraging one another. It carries that idea of comfort. carries the idea of exhortation that is urging one another on. And it also carries this idea of strengthening one another. And I like this one. Um, there's something about when we encourage one another that gives us inner strength. Believe it or not, I used to run a lot. I used to actually, I ran cross country uh, for Adolfo Camarillo High School back in the day as a freshman. I was on the cross-country team, and um, I was horrible. I really was. But um, there's something about when you're in a race, and I just remember this. You know, you're running that cross-country race, and, or whatever race, maybe you can identify with this. And, and, and I can remember several times um, this one race in particular, well, it's just this hard hill climbing. You're going up, but as you come down, you, you come around this corner, and that was one of the spots where uh, the spectators could be and the people that were just there and even other schools, they would just kind of root you on and be like, let's go, you can do it. And I don't know what it is about that when somebody else is like, you can do this, come on. When you're like dog tired and you hear that, you're like, dun, 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 dun. Look at the side view, dun, dun. I mean, it's like chariots of fire. You just, this, this gust of, or this burst of energy. And you're like, yes. Um, I'm being a little silly, but it, it's true spiritually. You know, Hebrews 12 talks about like, we have this great cloud of witnesses, you know, and, and they're in a sense cheering us on. Guys, we want to finish well. And when I encourage you, and guys, when you encourage me and you say, God, the Lord's coming back, keep going, you know, keep studying, keep teaching, keep serving, keep whatever. It, it strengthens me because we're a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And we could go on and on, but here's just to sum it all up, guys. The reason everyone's talking about Jesus' return is because all signs are pointing to that, which means the rapture is even close. And Paul calls it our blessed hope. And I hope it is that for you. I hope it's the happy hope. And if it's not the happy hope, my um, humble encouragement would be press into Jesus because to the degree that you know him, it will be to the degree that you love him and will be to the degree that you can't wait to see him. And thirdly, I want to encourage you and that means I want to comfort, maybe stir you on and strengthen you. He's coming back. But I also want you to do that for others this week. I want you to encourage others. Ask the Lord, who can I call? Who can I touch base with? Who can I FaceTime or Zoom or whatever? And who can I just say, um, encourage them? And maybe it's not specifically the rapture, but the idea of living for eternity. And maybe, yes, specifically the rapture. Say the Lord is coming. Maybe they need comfort. Maybe they need a little spiritual kick in the booty. Maybe they need strengthening, whatever. But I hope you're encouraged and I hope you can take this 
and encourage others because the Lord's coming and uh, this is not our home and we're gonna go see him and it's gonna be sooner, I think, than we realize. So God bless you and uh, let's just take a a few moments to pray and then we'll, we'll be done. So Father, we thank you so much for your word. I'm so thankful for the scriptures as I said at the beginning that we can just hear truth. Lord, I've been one of those people that when people talk about the rapture, sometimes I bristle at it because sometimes my focus isn't right. Or sometimes there's just other things, but whatever. But I just wanna pray right now, we would really view this as the blessed hope, the happy hope, because we're gonna be with you. And so Lord, encourage my family, encourage my brothers and sisters. Lord, let us run with endurance. Let us live lives that are pure, Let us um, just have our eyes focused on you and on eternity. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.